Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. In today's episode, unpacking a tweet from the tragically late Sinead O'Connor, deconstructing what cutting edge, that's in quotation marks, psychology tells us to do with triggers, and why it's the exact opposite of what identity would say is healthy, how life begins with chaos in every moment and why that matters, what we shouldn't learn from the new Barbie movie, and of course, much more. Thanks so much for listening. Greetings and welcome forward, everybody. Boy, do we have some interesting stuff to talk about today. (laughs) And uh, we're going to try to do it in a sober, heavy heart, sorrowful way. I don't know if we're going to be able to, honestly. I mean, that's quite a challenge. Maybe we'll do both. We'll make an <laughs> and. Well, we have to leave room for our human um, reactivity, sort of like you have to respect something, but you don't have to like it type of framework. Yeah. And so we can, we can, we can as long as we don't overdo it, we can respond our, in our personal, this is why we don't like it, but... Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm all for, yeah, I don't have any problem with saying I don't like it. It's just, I'm very self-conscious about um, disdainfully laughing at aspects of the world uh, and um, which is, it's very easy for me to do. So I try to be mindful of it and heartful of it, but some stuff is just so ridiculous. It's like, I, I, how, how, yeah. do we, how do we not? Well, if identity is what it, it purports or offers to be, then um, our frustration with the world is part of our humanness uh, mm-hmm. as long as we don't overattach to it and let it distort our heart, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think there's room for the whole gamut uh, of it in, in identity. It wouldn't be in other spiritual paradigms, of course. Uh, yeah. But since we include the human and its, and its um, spiritual nature of and to itself, including our not-so-bright sides or light sides, yeah. uh, as long as we have meta about it, I think it's okay. Yeah, but, I yeah. think if I were to just own, and for, for our listeners, like we, you have no idea what we're talking about, but I'll give you a preview in one word. <laughs> Kenergy. Kenergy being the energy of Ken from the uh, recently released Barbie movie and uh, being heralded as some kind of masculine or mental health ideal. That's one of the things we're going to be talking about today. And that's like, I could say I had derisive laughter um, come up when I read the article that we'll be talking about. But at the level of my soul, it's just sorrow. It's just, oh man, ouch. And sorriness and patience and compassion and pain about that. That's what's deeper. So I guess there's room for both as long as I can get to the soul level as well with it. Yeah. uh, There's laughing um, in absurdity and laughing in judgment. Uh, There's different different tones to Uh, those. uh So uh, I I can't always uh, uh, be mindful. I'm not always mindful of the difference between those two, but I'm largely on the side of um, a heartful kind of, uh, oh, no, please don't tell me that's true, Mm -hmm. as opposed to what kind of idiots populate this planet, you know, Uh, (laughs) uh, and that's just not not in in keeping with an embodied Edenist, uh, not because you can't do it, there's no rules, but an emotively mature person has a lot more 
nuance to their frustration indexes about the world. Yeah, and here's a, a salient and current example. Um, we're recording this on July 26th, and you see in the news Sinead O'Connor is passed from this plane today. At, oh, I didn't see that, no. Yeah, just in the last few hours it was reported she was 56, I think. And so I was curious about the cause of death because it was um, auspiciously or suspiciously um, um, mm -hmm. excluded. And um, she's been diagnosed bipolar and has a previous suicide attempt um, on her record, so to speak. And part of the thing that's been coming up in the news is that her 17-year-old son committed suicide um, in 2022. And here's right. a direct quote from what she wrote right around the death of her son. Been living as an undead night creature since. He was the love of my life, the lamp of my soul. We were one soul in two halves. This is about her son. He was the only person who ever loved me unconditionally. I am lost in the bardo without him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're so here's a great example of a dual reaction. It brings tears to my eyes because I, I don't know her, her music or her art very well. But what I do know, I really like and I can feel her soulfulness. And, and she's a powerful woman. Uh, spoke out against the Pope and the Catholic child abuse. Um, you know, really a force for good in the world. Um, yes. Her mother, her mother sexually abused her. This is also a known thing. And so on one hand, it's completely understandable that she would okay. also invade her own child right. such that and mateize with him thinking he's the love of my life. We're supposed to see this and well, it's dual. Like most people see this yeah. and go, oh, how tragic a mother lost her son. But what she also lost was a false mate, and she seriously abused this kid if this is how she held it. And, yes. And, I, I mean, I almost can't even let the words come out of my mouth, but that's part of why he killed himself. Yes. And that's yes. it's awful just to feel the, no one's to blame, and this is all terrible, right. and ugh. Absolutely. And the framework, of course, Joseph is, is talking about here is in, in identity, which is not the normal way of looking at no. things from psychology or parenting, uh, that uh, uh, it, it is abusive to the max for a parent to uh, mate with a child energetically. Uh, and, and when it's dressed up in those kinds, that kind of verbiage, it makes it look like it's a noble thing. Uh, they might have well have been soulmates, but in a past life, right in a past yeah. life, that's yeah. fine. But emotively mature parents, unless uh, Sinead, I mean, I, I've admired her since I since I knew her her music. Uh, she really is amazing being. Mm -hmm. But here's a case where amazing beings, when they don't do their own uh, emotional body based therapeutic healing are going to repeat the very thing that their parents did to them. Yeah. And just because it's, it's all dressed up in um, some sort of transcendent kind of soul love does not excuse it, the pathology of it. But like you just said, it's uh, the sorrow here. You, you can't land anywhere. So you just got to sort of bounce around inside a, 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 an enclosed globe of frustration, outrage, sorrow, um, uh, empathy, uh, all these things. And you can't land anywhere if you're really honest with your whole spectrum of human reactivity. Mm -hmm. So, wow, that is, I, I just, I'm agape that that was framed by her as a positive thing. 
But what else could she do if she never recovered from her own childhood? So yeah. please, if listeners um, are their ears kind of pricked up on this, please know that um, the reality of identity's frameworks does not does not mean that we make uh, uh, we withdraw love from that which we're appalled by. Uh, we're yeah. just appalled. We're just yeah. appalled. We our our standard go to uh, uh, quick definitions is that um, uh, um, uh, judgment. Uh, uh, it, or, um, what is difference it? Difference between uh, observation and judgment. Yeah, an observation um, can uh, see something that uh, that, but you still don't withdraw love from it. But it only becomes uh, a a, a, um, a judgment if you withdraw love from that which you just observed or observed. So um, here, that's what we're trying to do here. But that's a, just astonishing to me. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, I think even a lot of mainstream therapists would say it's not healthy for a mother to be quelling about the unconditional love from her son. Yeah. To her son, most psychologists would not have a problem with, but from her son and this Bardo thing, I mean, man, wow. Yeah, if she, if she had been in, the, in Identity's uh, emoti- emotional body and soulmate care, we would have um, uh, uh, framed for her the possibility that his suicide was meant to reflect to her her reactions to his suicide uh, um, would have told her how deeply she had not yet healed from her own invasion by the mother. And here she follows suit, which doubles and, and quadruples up in a loop. The whole that both of them will have to... Um, uh, 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 dig themselves out of in future lives. He's more innocent in the sense uh, because whenever this happens, it's always the parents' responsibility for it, not the child's. They they just responded uh, in this pathological way. And I, in a much milder case, of course, my own mother mated with me in exactly the same way, but never admitted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was all under the table and dark and, and nasty that way. Um, so it's a, it's a real, that's a real jaw dropper. Yeah. And like I said, we don't know that Sinead O'Connor killed herself at this point, but everything seems to be pointing to it. And, um, yeah, a a year or so, I don't know if it's been a full year, but her son, um, committed suicide in 2022 sometimes. So it wouldn't be a surprise. And I think, uh, yeah, my third eye says they probably were mates in a past life as well, which would have um, complicated the issue. Which makes the whole thing even more uh, tragic because there's a beautiful truth. And in that sense, it's very hard for uh, uh, the parent to, who have been, who has been, who never healed their own um, uh, starvation of heartful bandwidths uh, that happened in childhood. They'll suck it right out of the child because a lot of times mothers, especially mothers because of their porosity of the yin, are going to um, mate with sons uh, uh, because it's a lot of times for mothers, the first time love was ever um, educed out of them uh, uh, by a child. A child just brings that out and they've never had, uh, many mothers never have had that kind of love experience, least of all with their husbands. Yeah. And so it becomes a real mess uh, uh, about about that, um, that whole dynamical tragedy yeah the hook it can't be avoided and it's not supposed to be avoided it's supposed to be processed through to some kind of healing resolution but 
Um, right. if it's, if there's no one who can help with that and instead she gets a bipolar label, um, and maybe meds, oh. um, probably to go with it, then what are you going to do? Yeah. That's yeah. our world. And That's on that note, we're, we're going to be talking today exactly about, um, uh, some of the pre prescriptions. What was the first article that, um, um the this whole thing? The oh, we think <laughs> The glimmer, the, yes. the glimmer thing. So that's you. You, I, I've, I didn't bring them up uh, for our uh, on, on my screen here. I've so got maybe. them on a screen. I'll, I can start by. Uh, I, I okay. can start at the top of what. And, and I found this article. I think first, and I sent it to Stace, and we said we got to talk about this. And Stace found two others. So yeah. um, it's going to be uh, continuing the happiness episode we did. Uh, yes. A few, a few mm -hmm. going deeper into that. So. Right. Um, uh, so the article goes, this is from, um, uh, I was referring to Psych Central. I forget where it was really originally published. So, um, um, I'll, I'm just going to sort of skip around. Uh, so for many of us, especially those deeply entrenched in the worlds of mental health awareness and wellness, the idea of a trigger isn't unfamiliar. Uh, in case you were unsure, though, Psych Central, that's a website, says that triggers are, quote, sensory reminders that cause painful memories or symptoms to resurface. That might be an interesting place to pause and redefine that. Oh, oh God. Oh, <laughs> what God. is a trigger according to identity, and why is it not only a sensory reminder? Uh, it's a gift of a red flag. Uh, a trigger is not meant to be seen as something negative, even though it feels negative. So we, we have, it's reasonable and human to feel it as negative, but identity takes us uh, one step behind that curtain and says, this is a red flag that is uh, a gift because if you're triggered in dot, 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 dot way, then that relates to some unconscious fear pattern that you have without which you wouldn't have had that particular trigger. So we look for the deeper causal wound that, that the present day trigger only brings up out of the unconscious to the conscious. Yeah. So again, the definition they offer here is sensory reminders that cause, mm -hmm. which is a suspicious use of the verb, cause right. painful memories, cause painful memories. So the cause of the painful memories and symptoms to resurface is the sensory reminder that's yes. where the cause is. Yes. The cause is deeper. Uh, the, the trigger is the symptom uh, showing up. And so that's, you're right, that, that particular phraseology is a little mucky. It's, yes. Uh, I would remind our listeners that excuse comes from the Latin ex causa. And <laughs> yes. that's an externalization <laughs> of cause of the trigger. Right. So the cause of the trigger is not my childhood wounds and what I've done or not done with them so far. The cause is the sensory reminder. Um, so that's so the whole frame we would say for the everything else that would follow this would be off. Yeah. So then it, let, let me before you go on. Uh, I just want to bring a metaphor, and I think that I think we'll utilize later here also uh, in a different dimension. Is that I often have used over the years uh, the wonderful metaphor, which is shocking to a lot of people. Sort of shocks them awake. Is it's not the blade that causes us pain, it's our own nerves. <laughs> oh, that's great. See, it's I forgot not the that knife. one. It's not the knife that causes us pain, yet all we do been trained and conditioned to, malconditioned to do, is to see the, 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 um, the trigger 
in this case, if we use carry through the metaphor, the trigger is the is the knife, but the cause is our own nerves. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that can be pretty clarifyingly shocking sometimes is that exactly in this way, it, it, it it's not one one to one, a hundred percent resonant, but it's about eighty five resonant. This metaphor mm -hmm. that the cause, the the symptom is not the cause, and this is basically the existential blind spot in all psychology. Yeah. Yeah, well, well said. yeah, it's an upstream existential blind spot of everything. And I had an insight last night sort of toward the tail end of a uh, blowout with my girlfriend, which I'll talk about at some point in this podcast, um, certainly by the end. But I had this insight of like, I just saw with a clarity I hadn't seen before that as children, our parents are both the solution and the problem. They're supposed to be the solution. And of course, they are the solution. Otherwise, we would never survive, you know, a day past being yeah. born. So sure. they're the solution. And then when they're not the solution, they're the problem. And mm -hmm. then I saw in codependency, mm -hmm. we make our mates either the solution or the problem. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they're right. neither. Nice. Right. They're neither. It's the, the, the solution is, oh, this person's supposed to make me happy and I'm going to be happily ever after as long as they <laughs> behave according to exactly what I need. And when <laughs> they don't, yeah. then they're the yeah. problem. Right. And exactly. that's the protector's frame pro um, projected from childhood. Uh, and yeah. then that's the whole needing love from rather than sharing love with and all sorts it, of stuff. Exactly. Uh, that whole framework uh, that that's what soulmateism or real honest sober intimacy is supposed to bring us and it's we've just been malconditioned uh um, squared q and cubed mm. in this domain and it, it warps every all of our downline reactions to this which then gives room for more and more uh, 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 uh distorted reactivities and judgments and confusions and oh god yeah. And it's, it's, of course, easy to say, and you, you've said to, to me very often um, uh, about uh, my relationship, she's the trigger, not the cause. She's the trigger, not the cause. She's the trigger, not the cause. It's very easy to say, um, yeah. but it takes uh, many, many, many layers of work to actually be able to embody that even a little bit. So well, Absolutely. I, I can say in my, in, in my version of that with, with Brie, it's taken me seven years of constant, constant vigilance and work to minimally, uh, finally uh, embody to some small degree uh, that that she's not the problem. My wounds and their reactivities is the problem, mm -hmm. and that's my vertical job to um, to heal. When we have protocols for that in an EBE. Uh, and not Bree's problem to um, take care of uh, for me. So, and it's the same for her reactions to me. It's that we always have to stay on our side, as we've talked many times about in these podcasts. So, I might as well bring this up now because it fits in the conversation. So, um, last night, uh, my lady and I were getting along quite well. Um, I could tell she was starting to get hungry and she wasn't eating when I thought she should, but not my responsibility, but I could, I know when she gets too hungry, things can get cranky very fast. And I suggested a couple of times like, Hey, maybe we should stop doing this thing. I think you probably need to eat. And she, uh, uh paid no heed to that. And we kept doing the thing we were doing. Um, and, uh, then she started to get cranky and, um, it started small and subtle 
and it got worse. And I have my my frame, which has been for a while, probably been working at at least a year on being able to let myself feel the hurt of it without explaining how she should be, without mm. defending myself, without attacking her back, without mm. any of those other things. Without And, and so I, I'd give myself, uh, I'd say, an A- minus on this. It was the best I'd ever done it. At one point I said, with only a little bit of aggression in my, my voice, just sort of sadly, like, this is exactly how my narcissistic mother treated me when she demanded I say something because I was just sitting there not knowing what to say that would be supportive of me feeling how hurt I was feeling. I did say yeah. in the beginning, like, she was like, well, why aren't you saying anything? I said, I'm just trying to feel how much this hurts. And it wasn't easy because yeah. I could feel the walls coming up that sure. were already up and wanting to get thicker. And I was just sitting there being like, don't argue, don't talk back, don't point out anything, just one thing, just feel the hurt. And, yes. um, mm -hmm. and at one point she said quite nastily, um, uh, well, you know, why are you putting up that wall like that? And it was completely reasonable in many ways for me to do that because she was saying some really um, painful things. And then I thought like, well, yeah, why indeed? Why do I have that wall up? It's like I'm trying to show the my protectors that this isn't my mother and I'm not a child and I can let all of this in and it won't kill me. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I, even though, of course, again, it was, would be reasonable in lots of ways to have an energetic wall up. It wasn't saying anything. It wasn't doing anything. But I tried to open my heart even more to make it hurt even more. And after a minute or two, she just started sobbing. Something in her just broke. The whole thing probably took like 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and that took literally a year to be able to get to. And I think I probably could do it even better but it was enough that she could feel her impact on me um, yeah yeah and wow. so that's an example of like uh, i had you know my main contribution to this you know conflict um was that i chose a woman who would help me heal my childhood like i yes. don't i didn't do if i did anything to help foment this it was would have been extremely subtle um, yes and mm -hmm. i own that um and um that was probably one of the hardest things i've done in my life um, i believe it i believe it joseph knowing you the way i know you and loving you the way i know you i love you and respecting you the way i respect you hmm. i get it uh we're all flawed what are we doing about it uh, <laughs> that's, a that, that's all that's the only that's the only uh arbiter hmm. here of this kind of thing uh, you, uh, this, this, the throw stones thing um, that Yeshua, uh, one of the few things in the Christian Bible, the Paulian Bible, mm -hmm. that uh, you know, it was semi-accurate is best not uh, throw stones at anyone if you're if you yourself haven't healed the, the very thing that you're you're condemning the other person for or a resonant thing. So if we could all just do that, wow. Yeah, and just to add in a little, to fill in some lines, the reason that took in part a year for me to be able to do is because the, the, the guy in me who was the explainer, the fight back, fighter backer, um, all of the other things that I've been doing, um, he needed to be differentiated and have his worldview heard and um, have his feelings felt and all that so that there was a minimally enough me present yeah. to be able to actually say, 
I mean, it was literally, I had a, a, um, a vision as I was going to sleep last night. It was like, um, uh, it's like at any moment having your, it's like relationality means at any moment your worst nightmare from childhood could happen and you're supposed to go, oh, okay, so now this is happening. Great. You know, like that's what's Without required. transcending first shock. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, and you actually be there the and feel it. Right, right, and that's exactly what these three articles don't do, which yes. is and why we're, why our reactivity is is sorrowful and and uh, uh, meta migraines. I call them my, these meta migraines. I get they're instantaneous, <laughs> and and then they paralyze me for a moment, and then it moves through me, and I go, "Whoa, dude! How can you have done that, or how could you have framed it that way?" Uh, so it's a uh, meta migraines is my yes reactive. yeah and just for the purposes of balance i've said and done plenty of crazy and awful things to my lady as well and so it's not like i'm any kind of victim here uh, it goes both both ways but i thought that would be a good sort of counterpoint because yeah, that's right. how we in identity look at triggers to right. muster somehow enough soulfulness to see it as a gift relate to it as a gift and feel everything there is to feel because the, 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 in one way, the purpose of a trigger is to, to say, you could say without the trigger, how the hell are you going to know what it felt like to be a child? Yes. You need that. Yes. And that's absolutely. why they exist. There's a structural metaphysics for that. Like that it's a, it's a, it's a time travel capsule to go back to your childhood. And that's what I was doing. Being like, Oh, like I knew my mother is a victimy, martyr, narcissist, but the feeling of it is way more like, oh, right, this feeling, this trapped feeling, this I've got to get away feeling, this I would do anything to destroy her if I only could and make this stop, all of that, that all of that came up and it's like, wow, this was what it was like to be the son of my mother. And yes. then I can be with that and the protector doesn't have to. Um, be a layer over it and you know d oh. disconnect me from my own soul which is the net effect absolutely there's another dimension that's worth mentioning here in your in your reveal here joseph and that is the the some of the biggest challenges that we map in the meta to what joseph just said is how our protective self operates on will first mm. right and, and so the, when we're trying to heal this kind of um, will-based, um, proactive or uh, yangic or yinic kind of um, block wall or abuse, whatever, whatever it is, whichever form it is, uh, that we, we have to learn first uh, from our deeper aspects of soul to begin with love first and put our will second from love because the protector's will can't do that. There's mm -hmm. no offset to it. When we say, uh, when Joseph said um, uh, he wanted, there, there was a, uh, he, he, he completely honored the reactivity and then himself, the deeper him, sat with it and tried to sink into mm -hmm. a, a vulnerable love-based uh, uh, dynamic from which then to have his deeper soulful a uh, different reaction than the will-based reaction, which is automatic for our, our, our protectors. Yeah. So it's really hard to adjudicate soul for soul love first, then will, 
when our all of our protection mechanisms, which is upwards of two thirds of us, affect two thirds of our, our total consciousness until healed, are all will first based. Mm-hmm. And that's what everyone's confused about why it's so hard to change. Yeah. Uh, it's not neuromuscular uh, accommodative conditioning. You just have these uh, Pavlov dogian kinds of things in your body cells, which a lot of people believe uh, yeah. it's just in the body, right? Uh, so to have an offset to that requires that we learn how to access a deeper version of I than just the protective I. And yeah. that's what Joseph just beautifully um, uh, spoke to and how difficult that is and how when you get to a yin place about it, when you slow things down as men, we tend to have yangic fast reactions, segmented reactions that way. When you finally slow it down, uh, what it took Brie a long time to get and appreciate is that I take longer to feel what I'm feeling Mm-hmm. Whereas before it was rapid fire instant, but mm-hmm. that wasn't me. That was my protective self. Mm-hmm. And so when you slow it down, um, uh, now I'm yin like, and, and, and sometimes, uh, that will be misinterpreted, uh, uh, by Brie in a hot moment as that I'm, I'm walling off when I'm actually searching for the deeper yin version of the thing that will unplug my old reactivity. Yeah. I think that happened last night. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, because women tend to feel faster. Yes. But again, if we use feel emotion and at the base emotivity, women have faster access to more superficial feelings, but we're all slow to get to the deeper ones. Yes, all of us equally. Equally, uh-huh. we segment our way to it. Yin women tend to, at least women on the on the healthy side of female yin uh, 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 bandwidths, uh, uh, will are are wholer and less segmented than yang. So we can use our segmentation to go fast in an energetic version of a feeling. Whereas women in, from their wholeness will feel a, a deeper feeling first mm-hmm. than we would normally, less energy, more real emotion. But then when we get down to the to the existential roots, uh, we're all slow. Yeah, and that's why something that is so I remind myself and the people I work with so often. There's just this barrier, I think, for all of us that we're conditioned to think we know what we feel. Yeah. <laughs> it All seems right. so obvious. Of course I know what I feel. I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the, you know, the foam on the crest of the wave. But um, it takes a lot of work to even be able to access deeper emotions, especially in the heat of a moment where, you know, there's protection mechanisms that very much don't want you to feel what you actually feel. No, no. And, and in fact, uh, for, for me and I, a lot of men that I know uh, over the years, uh, and, and, and I've seen it equally in women, this is both on both sides of the divide, quote unquote, uh, the false divide, is that uh, the hardest thing for my male wound-based uh, ego was that to finally be able to admit in my deeper self that uh, this woman in some domains that I'm with now, 17 years this year, uh, knows me better than I know myself. Yeah. Oh, that... That and women who have endured patriarchy and mansplaining uh, for a thousand years, uh, when I've ever offered Brie in this one domain, maybe I know you better than you do. Well, the outrage, there's mansplaining and patriarchy condescending is triggered 
yeah. out of an honest, honest, real truth, which makes it hard for breathing or women to decode that yeah. uh, and, and not reactive to, to the patriarchy if they still got patriarchal projections. Um, so it's really a complex issue. Yeah. And, and only and protectors, I have the same thing. It's only yeah. protectors would have a problem in any given yeah. moment that the other person might know something about you that you don't. Because it's <laughs> you could demonstrate in 10 seconds that that is often the case. You know? yeah, so often. <laughs> and, and I used to consciously be aware of that. I want to be with a woman who in some ways knows me better than I do so I can learn and grow with her. Uh, not play victim to her and when she's uh, uh, coming at it. And sometimes yeah. it's hard to reflect that uh, knowing better heartfully and warmly in both uh, genders, uh, but that's the goal. And, and yeah. we bake that goal consciously in yeah. identity. Let's go back to the article um, yes. that we're wading through. I don't know if we're going to get through all three, but this we'll one was the gem. Uh, okay. So, uh, yes, definition of trigger, that's where we were. Yes, uh, sensory reminders that cause painful memories or symptoms to resurface. We don't see them as the cause, as said. Uh, we're going on here. These can be reminders of a traumatic event. Right there, traumatic event. We would say, no, events aren't traumatic. No, the inability to digest yes. the event is what's traumatic, and only for children. Oh, God, that distinction, I'm just reminded of, you, is so big, a chasm, mm -hmm. you could drive a paradigm through it. Yep. Uh, so, And I find that one fascinating so much because right? I was just talking to someone today who was like, I, yeah, I don't really, I don't know what, why I do these things. My, my childhood wasn't that traumatic. <laughs> and that's the content versus content issue. No, yeah. the trauma is in context is that you, nobody was feeling you and with you and helping you to digest your emotions. And it doesn't yes. matter whether you got left too long alone at the ice cream store or not. Um, right. You were alone. Uh, so this, these can be reminders of a traumatic event, parentheses, which is not actually the problem, comma, mm -hmm. uh, somebody that hurt you, also content, not the real issue, an mm -hmm. anniversary, also not the issue, we would say, um, right. the feelings you felt during a difficult time or the breakup of a relationship. In other words, these can be reminders of a list of content things that felt bad. Yes. And therefore that's the problem. Right. It goes on to say they're at best unpleasant and at worst at worst, wait for it, quite traumatizing. Oh dear. So so the reminder <laughs> oh, no. of the traumatic oh, event no. <laughs> can itself be traumatizing? Uh, I guess the meaning that it's re-traumatizes you. The trigger re-traumatizes you, which I get what they mean, but it's still off. It's still the whole, it's not a right diagnosis, a correct diagnosis. Right, because if you got left at the ice cream store alone for half a day before anyone noticed you were gone, that content event they're saying that's what traumatized you, right. and so then thinking about it or being right. reminded of it that right. also is traumatizing to you. Well, which is it? Is it the thinking about it, or is it the actual thing that traumatizes you, or right. both? Right. Oh God, it's so it's so tied up in the helix, a double helix of confusion uh, in this way, and that and that that that, that this all illuminates a, a really. Uh, let's repeat that identities uh, framework mm -hmm. is that it is not what happens to us that causes our lingering wounding. 
It's the fact that we no one helped us digest the trauma of being left at the ice cream store. Let's say mama uh, walked off from the, uh, I'll be right back, honey, and um, got caught with a with someone, um, uh, a friend at a dress store down the street, for example, and they were chatting uh, and they hadn't seen each other in 20 years or something. And all of a sudden the mother went, oh, shit. Uh, uh, my kid's waiting for me and just, and so runs back to the thing. And here's her, her daughter, uh, in this case, let's say crying in the corner, uh, mommy uh, thinking mommy, um, uh, abandoned her. So when you get home here, that trauma is immediately healable by mama saying, what, how did that, how did you feel thinking that mama uh, abandoned you? Mm-hmm. And if the child can digest it with the perpetrator, quote unquote, or the heartful perpetrator who has interest, not guilt. Maybe they have a little bit of guilt, (laughs) but it doesn't stop them. That's a great distinction because that's what most parents would lead with. And guilt is not an open heart. No, guilt is not. And the people think guilt opens your heart. It doesn't. It's mm-hmm. just allow, if you feel good, it allows you to do the same damn, same damn thing again in a week uh, or in the, in the next moment. Guilt is the worst motive uh, to drive any sort of relationship. Well, we got to unpack that. You just skipped a bunch of steps. Guilt allows people to do it again because it off gases and makes them yes. feel better about it, but it doesn't address right. the underlying reason they did the thing in the first place. Exactly. You so can't assume people mom, get that, Stace. Jeez. Oh, I know. Thanks for, <laughs> no, you got to stop me that I way because I've been doing this for 40 years. I know. So uh, the first thing mama would say at getting home was, oh, I, I met da-da-da-da-da-da-da, uh, and that's why I didn't get, I got, I'm so sorry. That's still off base from identity's point of view. The first thing is, how did you feel, honey? Yeah. What was it that you felt there? And then and invite her in deeper into her tears, not assuage the tears and try to make them go away. And if she can digest that daughter, digest that in that moment, guess what? There's no trauma to linger in the unconscious to be triggered when she's 30 or 25, when her husband doesn't show up for um, a meeting her at a restaurant uh, some night uh, from work. Because that doesn't happen. We right. grow up thinking hurt is indigestible, so I have to avoid hurt. Therefore, triggers are bad, not gifts. So I have right. to minimize them. Oh, such a savagely horror horror show you just described with that phraseology. Mm-hmm. Because take a moment, listeners. Uh, what we're saying here is that trauma is not the problem. Our inability to emotively digest the trauma is the problem. Mm-hmm. And that has phenomenally sea change capacities for the way we parent and the way we react to as victims to life or not. So mm-hmm. this is a very nuanced and Joseph had to stop me for the three things in, in between <laughs> what I just passed over, but these things go so fast for me uh, in discourse. So, well, this is why we're on, why this is worth unpacking on uh, mm-hmm. the way Joseph is reading here, because look at all of what illuminates identity's version of it, which you can agree with or not agree with. It's yeah, so it's what we're doing here. It's a great exercise just in paradigmatic thinking where it's, this yes. is, they're stating this is how it is without stating it's according to this paradigm when we're revealing the paradigm behind it. Yes. So the last clause here um, about triggers, they're quite traumatizing, uh, at worst, quite traumatizing in themselves, which we discussed, comma, especially for people with post-traumatic stress disorder, which we have to unpack that as well, oh, because what PTSD is 
already based on the a priori assumption yeah. that the trigger can't be worked, that the triggers are bad and right. why it's there can't be healed. So it's packaged up in a disorder that you have to live with for the rest of your life and you can treat but not heal. God, that's exactly right. A good example is uh, wartime PTSD, uh, veterans mm. who come back just emotionally destroyed by their their experience of, of savagery in the battlefield. That It's not the savagery in the battlefield that is the trauma. It's their inability to emotively move through and digest that experience, which you can't do unless you have a psychology dharma, psychological dharma, yeah. that sees that we're emotive beings before we're energetic beings. Mm -hmm. Because if you just treat it as energy, as most both do, as the base, then you're going to think that the... the um, the event itself of seeing some your best buddy blown to six different pieces that are still recognizable as him next to you on the battlefield, that's not what causes the ongoing PTSD. The ability, the inability to emotively digest that PTSD hmm. uh, is the is the why it still lingers. I, I can't remember if I talked about this in one of the podcasts, but I came up with a metaphor in an article I wrote a while back about this, about digestibility that I um, was it felt like some somebody in me told me about it. So it was very instructive for me that <laughs> if, if we don't have perfect parents, which nobody does, then as children hurt is like trying to swallow a golf ball. It, it harms us, right? Yes. That's, mm -hmm. it doesn't just yes. hurt us. It harms us. It's literally indigestible. Right. Uh, for adulthood, before we do any work on ourselves, Hurt is like a really, really um, super strong uh, hot pepper, like a ghost yes. pepper. It makes right. you panic. It's very painful. It doesn't do any lasting damage, but it it's feels not it's not harmful. It's, it's not harm. It's just hurt. Yeah, yes, exactly. But it's exactly. so strong. It feels like it will harm us. And we yes. sweat and maybe throw up or whatever, but it doesn't do long lasting harm. But we think no. it will. After yeah. working um, with our childhood wounds, hurt becomes an ice cube. Yeah. It might be a little uncomfortable depending uh -huh. on the size, but we can swallow it and it will just disappear once you feel it all the way through. That's a cool yeah. metaphor, right? Oh, it is a great metaphor. Sure. The other one, the golf ball is not slippy slidey and isn't meltable. Uh, right. So swallowable. So yeah, you could suffocate if it was a big um, ice cube physically in the metaphor. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Assuming it, uh, it's not 100% blocks your esophageal uh, canal, yeah. you're, uh, you're good. Good metaphor. Okay. Thank you. So, um, okay, so here we go. Here's the, uh, the beginning of the, uh, the solution. So we have identified the problem and the, you know, <laughs> like a good article starts with the pain and here comes the solution to the problem, solution to your problem from courtesy of psychology. People try to support each other through triggers through triggers, interesting. And what does that mean to be supported through a trigger? They don't say what that is. By providing trigger warnings for potentially harmful con harmful content. There's there's that word. Potentially harmful content on social media, in literature, and even on TV, in an effort to avoid the person being triggered and dealing with the aftermath of that. Yes. So. Trigger warnings, because triggers we've established, they've established are bad, and there's potentially harmful content, which we yeah. would say is impossible for an adult. There's no such thing as harmful content. 
Um, it could hurt them, but if it does, then that would be a gift for them to unpack, not something that they require a warning of. Exactly Um, right. Wow. And then finally, uh, trigger warnings are a useful tool for self-care and, wait for it, protection. (sighs) Because the human heart needs to be protected. To it, to it, to to it, uh, identity says emotively mature grown-ups don't need protection only emotively immature which we all are by default so if they say that that's a solution path they're legitimating a stuck um, loop that is not what we would call healing at all and that yeah. and that's the thing i've said probably most most uh, often in this domain joseph over the 40 years i've been doing this is that we have an entirely different definition of healing. Uh, and so it's not symptomatic abasement, uh, allaying uh, symptoms. It's not um, sparing us from emotive trauma. It's going deeper into emotive trauma. It's not going to kill you, even though it feels like it might. Yeah, so, and if it feels like it might kill you, that's probably how you know it's working. Yes, that's how <laughs> you know you're on the right track. Letting yourself feel it, yeah. all that way, right? Yeah, exactly. and and we protection is is in capital letters here for us to look at, but also um, the end of the sentence, self care. So, oh, yeah, it's, it's trigger warnings are a useful tool for self care and protection. We would say trigger warnings are a useful new tool for our uh, inauthentic. Um, separated from soul strategic selves to feel good as much as possible and wall themselves off from their trigger ability based in childhood wounds that's causing the difficulty in the first place. And we would say, I cannot add one even (laughs) uh, one uh, grammatical uh, dot (laughs) exclamation point after it. That was magnificent. Thank you. I'm on a linguistic roll today. Uh, As (laughs) as what's it's been released exactly from what I did last night in self care. My expression of self care last night was steering myself into one of the most horrific uh, emotional situations I've been in since I can remember. Um, yes. And so we have we, we see self-care as um, milking a trigger for all it's worth and feeling every iota of how painful it is, not yes. requiring That's someone self-care. to warn us for it. Yeah. Right. And which is the opposite mm-hmm. definition of self-care in that article. Yeah. It make also, me feel good. Make me smile. Yeah. Don't make me cry. Yeah. Oh. And if you if you if this is a new idea to you and you think it's crazy, you are very much understanding what we're talking about because yes. it feels to the protection that it is yeah. crazy. Like why on earth? I just had a, a client I was talking with earlier today about this idea of, of like when you are hurt by someone, feel the hurt. And mm-hmm. um, uh, they, they, they said, well, well, why would I do that? Like, what is that going to do? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you don't get to know. <laughs> and that's how our protectors think. It's like, why would I feel something if I don't know what it's going to accomplish? Yes. And- it, it, it wants to, it wants to um, uh, uh, keep the door sh- entry door shut unless it has a good, a clear exit door uh, from the experience. Yeah. And that's, we can never know exactly said. Yeah. yeah. And because this steers us into the chaos of not just, not just relationality, but really reality itself. Um, oh yeah. Then that allows me to do just dig a small rabbit hole here. Um, uh, where, where uh, identity has crossover between non-dual 
sage uh, um, uh, paradigms of of growth and uh, expansion uh, and, and personhood, where personhood and sagehood overlap is, is exactly in this uh, dynamic here, where both in our, our personhood dharma and in the Buddhist teaching, every moment in life starts in chaos. That's a, a straight out of the uh, handbook, uh, uh, a sage thing taught by the Buddha, not out of his handbook, he didn't write one. <laughs> but when he said life was suffering, technically, what he really meant was life starts every moment in chaos. Yes, the word is dukkha, life is dukkha, which dukkha, means yes. Im impermanence is a better translation than suffering. Exactly right. Impermanence, right, dukkha. So in that sense, uh, that's what we're, we, if we're being authentically all the way in scorched earth sage, this becomes a de facto um, uh, acceptance that every moment starts with an unpredictable, um, uh, uncontrollable dynamic coming at us. And that what the West has done, uh, and now the East in its Westernization uh, dynamics, uh, have, uh, have has done, and here's where it links over to personhood, is that that all of our control mechanisms, all of our protections, absolutely are dedicated to not living that way. Yeah. And so everything that Joseph just said was actuated by allowing the chaos, chaos, impermanent, unknowing depth of pain that was possible by letting in this dynamic completely correlates, resonates with sage that starts every moment with non-dualistic, um, uncontrollable impermanence. And so um, here's where sagehood and personhood co-sign each other and are integratable in just one small way mm -hmm. in identity where they are absolutely dissonant. Uh, mm -hmm. One says the personal self is an illusion. Absolutely, there's no negotiation. And the other one says there is no personal self, absolute, no negotiation. So mm -hmm. in this case, uh, I was a good example where chaos or impermanence um, is uh, is is the real thing and all of our protections utilize an artificial control mode to make yes. life and it is not the agenda of a typical mainstream therapist to deliver you to the real unadulterated raw chaos of life which yes. they themselves don't live in no so <laughs> how could they even tell you about it much less uh, lead you to it um, but that's what EBE is about, and that's a marked difference. I mean, for one, I mean, just that it has a spiritual side at all. Yeah. Um, yes. And this is one of the ways in which it's just completely different. And I have to say that mistranslation of dukkha, that's one yes. of the many things that just makes me crazy. Because my father used to say things, my social father, like, life is suffering, you know, go out, going out to shovel the snow or having me shovel the snow. Life is suffering, he would say. That's what the Buddha said. And, you know, <laughs> even though I was whatever, eight years old, it was always seems like something was very wrong with that. And then, you know, whatever, 30 years later, I discovered, oh, that's not what the Buddha taught at all. No, it's not content. It's exactly. the con existential context. Yeah, yeah. it's impermanent and um, unsatisfying, he was saying. Yeah. That it, the content is not satisfying. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just, it blows my mind sometimes how the brilliant, the most brilliant teachings of the world get turned into the exact opposite of, and yes. Not just misinterpreted a little bit, but just no, a lot. On the other side of the universe, uh, yeah. misinterpreted. Right. Uh, okay. okay, so here Excuse we are. Squeeze that orange, I think. Oh, uh, no, there's more. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> so we, we haven't even gotten to the solution to this problem. We've just been deconstructing triggers. Now, it says, social media users and mental health professionals are discussing what they're calling the, quote, opposite of triggers. Now, that's an interesting thing to consider what the opposite of a trigger is. But there wasn't one. There, there wasn't one and there still isn't one. But they're purporting that the opposite of a trigger is a glimmer. Yes. And then new headline, the intentional joy of glimmer. Yes. Intentional joy of glimmers. Uh, So-and-so therapist describes glimmers as, quote, some kind of cue, either internal or external, that brings one back to a sense of joy or safety. So we got to talk and talk. We got to stop and talk about safety. Oh, God. <laughs> about safety. Why uh, do I, you... I get, is, I, get, I get acid reflux every time <laughs> safety is used in that context. Uh, Same here. And that's really big. I think we've talked about that here and there before. Yep. Um, but yep. correct me if I'm wrong. And an adult creates their own safety. And if they don't feel safe, it's a childhood. It's a trigger. And yes. as discussed, that would be something to explore and feel and revel in how unsafe yes. you were as a child, not right. ameliorate by distracting yourself from the unsafe feeling. Amen. Go. Uh, and some kind of cute. So, th- so in other words, and we also have to say uh, uh, the headline, the intentional joy. Yes. Intentional <laughs> joy. Inter- it's, you can't even get six words in this article. Joy as a function oh, of intention. No. No. Intention is of the mind. So can the mind create joy? We would say no. Joy is an aspect of soul. If the mind is intentionally creating it, it's not. It's it's mentally constructed happiness, content-based happiness, whether it's based on something that's actually happening or as what they're saying, and I'll read from this, is um, uh, concocting, fabricating an experience in your own mind in order to make yourself feel better. Using will to create a yes. mind visualization of something that makes you feel joyful as a glimmer of joy to offset the trauma trigger uh, that has not been adequately uh, digested. Yeah. Let's just cover it over. It's like covering a, a, a floor of holes with a with an <laughs> oriental rug. Um, <laughs> When did this not become clear? When did we lose sight that you don't offset your way to healing? Mm. You can't oppositify. You can't allopathize your way to healing. You have to homeopathize. Well, I love that you use the word offset because a synonym for that is compensate. And that's exactly what this is. And there's the marked difference between EBE and psychology. Psychology seeks to help you compensate better, which is what Mm. a glimmer is rather than actually heal, which would be fine, except that they don't say, no, 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 we're not interested in healing. We gave up on that a long time ago. What we're interested in doing is helping you compensate for that which we've decided we can't heal. If they said that, I would be way more honest because that's what's actually going on. Well, I'd respect that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But And then they always use these cutesy, cutesy poo little uh, uh, nomenclature, a glimmer. Well, now we're going to employ glimmers uh oh my god that's so 2000s you know um, <laughs> where this whole thing started out uh in the discourse uh, in social media of uh, these little catch catch words uh 
and the and their utilization to uh, uh, entertain ourselves instead of grow ourselves. Yes, oh. this oh. this author uh, she she adds um, quote in our overstimulated worlds, which apparently people are victims of the overstimulation. They cannot stop the stimulation. In our overstimulated right. worlds, glimmers can be the answer. Answer. That's like kind of asserting that this is a healing thing. Glimmers yes. can be the answer to. Wait for it. I can. I can, I get literally nauseated saying this phrase. Regulating our overwhelmed nervous systems. Ugh. I hate the regulation of nervous systems thing. <laughs> it's so funny. That's reduction of the emotional body and the very soul to the mind. It's yes. just your nervous system. Yes. Please. The mind and its associated uh, brain brain stem uh, yes. reactivity. Yeah. So as if on cue, here's where the article goes next. New headline. So where did this come from? Well, new paragraph. Right back in 1995, which is crappy writing, right back in 1995, behavioral neuroscientist. Oh, big surprise. The behavioral <laughs> neuroscientist came up with this. Jeez. I thought oh, it would have been a spiritual I'm, leader. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked, Joseph. <laughs> a behavioral neuroscientist, Stephen Porges, uh, introduced polyvagal theory, which describes how our autonomic nervous system, parentheses, which controls involuntary actions like breathing, I see. So emotions are like involuntary actions like breathing, okay, <laughs> is searching for and reading oh. cues to find out if they're dangerous. So, yes, yeah, so our emotions and our triggers are part of our autonomic nervous system seeking safety. Um, this is, yeah, you'd have to be a behavioral neuroscientist to see triggers this way. Absolutely. And I want to insert here because it went so fast uh, that Joseph used an extremely important philosophical term called reductionism. I did. Um, yes. Uh, I didn't even remember used, saying that. Yeah, you did. Uh, it was reductionistic, I think you said, uh, used it. But it's where, where the one domain is reduced in a smaller way to a less senior, uh, a more senior domain is relegated to uh, a metaphor or a reduction to a lesser uh, essential domain mm -hmm. a reductionism of our soulful source of emotivity down uh, which is only mediated by the body and its vagal um, an autonomic system not caused by it right and that's where that's where we uh, diverge in identity here but right that's this is this is paradigmatically resonant with neuro neuro yeah, yeah. it's completely consistent with that paradigm and it goes on to say by seeking glimmers People are undertaking a process called neuroception, made up word, but that's fine. Um, neuroception. So that's like what perceiving things with your neurons intentionally. Um, a neuroception and the vagus nerve, which regulates organ functions, is responsible for the warm feelings we get from it. No, it, that's not what's responsible for it. That's the, the <laughs> mind is creating a picture that it wants to believe, and then we're having an emotional reaction to a mental body picture. Yes. They can't. How do they prove? This? And then it secondarily shows up in the nervous system. Yeah, uh, in our in our world, in our picture. But and, and so and this is why um, one of the reasons uh, uh, in personhood how identity was uh, constructed in the first place was I just kept saying no, no, no to what I heard or read like this and then sunk into it further and tried to find the principle that was behind the opinion 
And then I said no to the principle. Then I would drop into the, 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 the context of where it came from and then realize that that was wound-based. And so that was the, the deconstruction, not reductionism, of how identities, no, 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 finally yielded a yes. Oh, I never but, realized this. You literally deconstructed your way to, quote, yes. building the paradigm. You didn't actually build it. You arrived at it by taking things apart. Absolutely. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Otherwise, I would have channeled it from spirit. No, right, this, yeah. was, this I, was bottom up. This paradigm came from bottom up. Not It's the first spiritual paradigm that's come from bottom up, not top down. I didn't uh, realize that. Yeah, I deconstructed. I, I, I felt a revulsion, judgment, repul repulsion, whatever. That was not okay with me until I got to the principle, and then I had to see what paradigm the principle came out of, and then I had to see what the whether that how real to real life that paradigm actually resonated or dissonated, and that was then the final of, the, of any domain or moment I had a reaction. I, that's how the identity slowly got educed out of nose, and then then what was left at the bottom. Oh, I guess that's the yes. I better I better make a principle out of that yes and then start testing it to see yeah, if I'm Yeah, exactly. I'm then crazy. you start experimenting you gotta test with it. it. Yeah. yeah, then you got to test it. So that's no, so that's wild. the way identity was built. Well, yeah, I don't think I, I knew that or I certainly didn't appreciate it. I figured some of it just came to you. No. Wow, it was, that's uh, so cool. I, I certainly had inspired help uh, in that process of deconstruction and subtraction. Uh, but no... Um, uh, I have I had innate an innate yes that I can say I had at the bottom, but that innate yes was what way up what way upstream previously downstream made me made me say no. I couldn't say no to those unless I had an innate yes somewhere that collided with it. Mm -hmm. So I had to discover my own yes. I didn't have it automatically by that deconstructive sequence. Hmm. Wow. Um, so it, uh, yeah, a couple more things worth reading. Maybe that's based, that's the meat of it. Um, uh, uh, and then new headline, how to find our glimmers, find, create, um, how to find our glimmers as with all wellness trends, we could go down a rabbit hole about wellness trends. That's for sure. Glimmers have taken off on TikTok, and creators on the app, uh, on TikTok have spoken about their experiences with this sensation. It, it certainly is a sensation. The aptly, apt, oh, this you know this. The aptly named creator, quote, the incurable optimist. That's the name of the creator of um, glimmers. Says that a glimmer is a quote little moment of awe. That once you start looking for them and embracing them, life feels quote so much sweeter. What a great example of like trying to source awe, which is meaningfulness, right? That's related to meaningfulness. Trying to source sure. meaningfulness and awe in content you create artificially in your own mind that's not actually happening right now. Yes. Wow. I mean, there are so many versions of, the, versions of this across yeah. the board in our world, and but this is so paradigmatically, nauseatingly <laughs> clear. You know, and and I like we need to say at this point, Joseph, with all of our agape reactions and our oh my gods, this is all younger souls can do. Yeah, and that utilizing glimmers uh, this way is the best solution for younger souls. 
we're only saying in identity, because identity, we say this over and over again, the world has already offered good serves, services for the young in the middle and the teenage uh, versions of how many incarnations we've had. It has not served up medicine, good interventions for elder souls, older souls. Identity was, is simply that. It wants to join the conversation on the earth, not to say these are all wrong. They're just not appropriate for the deeper healing parameters that elder, older souls need have been here more than three, 350 times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important that these are, are the only thing younger souls can come up with. But if you dare to reflect that possibility, what if this is just your young soul? And thank you for creating that um, false oasis in the middle of a, sl- a snowstorm mm-hmm. that's your fear you're getting frostbite in. You visualize a glimmer oasis in your head. And that because if you think about a, a, a sexy um, kind of interlude with a, a person you're attracted to, um, if you're a man, you can get erect. Um, the, the mind. That's a glimmer. Can- uh, that's a glimmer right there, right? Uh, uh, a glimmer to aid in masturbation, if that's what your, your your trip is or your jam is. Yeah, no, that's a whole other rabbit hole. Like, so if I were yeah. to say, say I'm with a therapist who is teaching me about glimmers and inviting me to try it, and I say, um, okay, well, I find you kind of attractive. So, can I use as a glimmer imagining having sex with you? Would that be a glimmer if that works for mm-hmm. me? Yes. <laughs> what would they say then? Like, well, no. Is there a healthy good. glimmer and an unhealthy glimmer? Well, I think if I can um, reduce myself to being a younger soul, because I can remember sort of what that felt like, uh, I would say as the therapist, well, if it if it absolves you of the sticky aspects of a trigger, have at it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and then there again would be a, a, an abusive use of the authority yeah. uh, to support that. For all the for what it seems like the right reason, but is yeah, uh, completely inappropriate. You know, uh, I think I said this before on the podcast, but uh, it's a, a experience I will never forget. When I had a run in with some really um, bad bureaucracy in, in the healthcare system, and I was so frustrated and so just trapped feeling, and that was bring that was a trigger for me for sure. It brought up the trap to you know bureaucracy. See Franz Kafka, and I would not want to meet his mother. Um, <laughs> probably made him, made him feel really trapped and alone. Um, and uh, the bureaucracy is is still a tough trigger for me because of uh, my childhood. But I remember um, I actually fantasized for like five or ten seconds about taking a gun into this healthcare clinic and shooting up the place, and I felt mm. better for a second until yeah. I was like, "Well, obviously, I'm not going to do that." But was that a glimmer? So can fantasizing <laughs> about be, can yeah. glimmers be clearing mechanisms? Yeah. Can can what about if I want to fantasize shooting up a school? Is that and that makes me feel awe and release yeah. and and takes me off of the childhood wound? Is is that an effective glimmer? I mean, we could just sit here and brainstorm these crazy things or exterminate yeah. an entire race of people. What about that? What if that makes me yeah. feel good? Yeah. Just thinking about it. Yeah, Hitler could have read this article uh, and said, oh, here's my glimmer. Um, I visualize and make real uh, genocidal in, in, uh, things because that makes me feel good. Yeah, well, I don't think he killed any Jews. He just talked about how it should be done. You know, yes. he was just thinking about it, just talking about it. That's like a glimmer. And then other people did it. Oh, I can't laugh. Because I'm laughing. I shouldn't laugh. This is beyond the Ken. Beyond the Ken. Uh-oh. Did we just oh, We got to get to Kennergy. Yes. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm going into a I think, absurdity I think, frenzy. 
Yeah, I think we've squeezed all the juice out of this lemon we can. Okay. But again, out there in social media land, if you're addicted to, uh, if you're if your human life has a big factor of social media in it, in it, you're a young soul. That's just the way it is, um, and that's okay. Be where you are. Utilize these things. However, if you happen to be listening, if you're a social media addict, and you happen to be listening to uh, these podcasts. Um, one, one, one day, one life, you'll have to unplug all these, um, pseudo protective offsets to what you call happiness or well-being, uh, because most of the, what they call well, wellness out there is really willness, <laughs> the will, uh, uh well-being, really well-being, uh, is served, not, not healthy heart-based soul-based healing. Hmm. So. Uh, you'll have to unplug it someday. I'm not saying it's this lifetime is the way, but mm -hmm. just here's our our offsets to the offset principle, yeah. uh, the whole the, the allopathic principle. Glimmer is just another allopathy. Uh, it's clever, yeah. uh, and maybe it'll help people stay off uh, antidepressants. If that's help, it's a lesser of two evils. It's, it's clever, but it's so not new. I mean, it's as old yeah, as behavioral psychology, which yeah, is like a hundred years, practically eighty to one hundred years. Absolutely, uh, it's right. just been repackaged and renamed, um, like mm -hmm. most of the wellness industry. I'm going to keep that <laughs> the one. Wellness sure. industry. <laughs> so now on to speaking of packaging, there's a new word in our vernacular, and that is uh, as said, Kenergy. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm looking here at a picture of uh, Ryan Gosling in uh, in uh, clipped from a scene in the new Barbie movie. Why they made a Barbie movie, I don't know. I guess to appeal to my generation who grew up with it. Um, so Bri yes, the wait, Bri Brie. Oh yeah, Barbie's uh, older generation. Yeah. Uh, uh, Fifty nine, I think Barbara, yeah, Barbie. Yeah. Uh, anyway, go ahead. She has uh, Barbie has legs, so to speak. It's been around yeah. a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the word Kenergy has made its way into pop culture. The word describes confidence, energy, and the self-belief that Barbie's boyfriend, Ken, seems to embody in the film. I may never see the film, so I don't know if I'll I know, <laughs> but I might have to watch it just to get the, the taste of the Kenergy zeitgeist. Uh, <laughs> health experts... <laughs> Health experts say there are many ways you can find your Kenergy from attending checkups with your doctor and getting better quality sleep to eating a healthier diet and practicing self-belief. Now, self-belief, I think, is what, yeah. Well, I'll unpack that one. First of Wait. all, health experts are talking about Kenergy. Let's just start there. Like, why, <laughs> why are they doing that? Did they not have enough words in their medical vocabulary that they needed to glom on to a pop film culture yeah. thing? Um, yes. Yeah, so Kenergy, again, confidence, energy, and self-belief. These are the three pillars, if you will, of Kenergy. Every, I can't say Kenergy many more times. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> The three pillars, the metaphysics of, of Kenergy are confidence, energy, and self-belief. Uh -huh. And you and can- believe, Believing in the self, self-belief. Yes. And the experts are telling us that this can be achieved through regular checkups, better quality sleep, diet, which is like, that helps everything. But most importantly, it seems practicing self-belief. That's because that's a, a relatively uh, more specific idea. And- um, uh, Gosling coined the phrase, the Ryan Gosling, the actor who plays him, um, 
Uh, he says uh, it's basically a person who looks after themselves mentally and physically, doesn't take themselves too seriously, and isn't afraid to partake in conventionally feminine things. In other words, it's a model of positive masculinity that prioritizes mental, physical, and social health. I mean, this is just so vague. I don't even know how to talk about it. It's just like... Well, I love I love being uh, reduced to the sentiments of a doll. I, I just I love that right as a ma- as a masculine based uh, being uh, uh, with uh, with all the right equipment. Uh, so well, yeah. So let's start with for, the, a, man, for, a, for a man anyway. Yeah, yeah. The, the, metaf- the, the the metaphysical frame begins with sort of the cosmology of the Barbie paradigm. Yeah, is right. that the man is derivative of the woman because yes. Barbie is the star of the show. And right. so that's why it's important that he goes along. It says that somewhere in here. He just goes along with what she wants to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, yeah, right here, it, does, it says, uh, isn't afraid to let Barbie take the lead. Yes. Um, so that's well, our paradigm here is you're a secondary person to the Barbie, to the woman. I, I read something this morning uh, where one article uh, said that uh, actually the character of Barbie in this film is queer. Uh, she actually is not interested in Ken only as a sidekick uh, and a and a buddy. Um, that was a little because he strange. has no genitals. The doll has yeah, no genitals. That would make sense. Everything else, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and and so yeah. So I'm what I'm hearing you would immediately hear. I didn't read that part of the Kennergy thing that you uh, you brought up here, but um, it's uh, it's exactly what happened in feminism. That uh, women were, it's when it spilled over to personal relationality, uh, is where feminism lost their beat. It was completely reasonable, social, business, uh, uh, power, and uh, in, in the culture, all that. But as soon as it got uh, started osmosing to personal relationships with men, women then uh, uh, borrowed the worst of the patriarchy and wanted men to be denuded of their masculinity so they could finally be in charge. Uh, and and that after being, and that's understandable as a reflex to being put in the kitchen and being the underling for, well, 10,000 years, you know, understandable, but still tragic. So Ken is embodying the passive uh, we spacer man to the me spacer young young driven Barbie in that way, just like what happened in feminism. Well, and here's the answer to a uh, post-feministic um, frame of masculinity. This is right. under the the um, heading to um, believe in yourself. If you've right. watched the Barbie movie, which I haven't, and I may have to, you'll know um, that Ken is a character that doesn't take himself too seriously repeated phrase in this article. It's important not to take yourself too seriously. What that actually means and why, we don't know, but it's important. Uh, Continuing, something, uh, don't take yourself too seriously, something which requires confidence and self-belief. So you have to be confident and believe in yourself to not take yourself too seriously. All right. Uh, I I get what that's saying, but very uh, weak metaphysics here. Uh Uh, He's also happy to sit back and let Barbie take the lead. So, given all of this, which we're just exposed to accept, um, you know, uh, uh, at the face value, the article says, how can you make like Ken and develop a strong sense of self-belief? First things first, pay attention to your thoughts. Quote, if you find yourself using more words that put you down than encourage you, heads up, that needs to be adjusted. 
I'm not encouraging you to be arrogant. I'm encouraging you to not be a jerk to yourself, she says. So, you know what? That that voice of self-judgment, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. Don't try to find the source of that. Just ignore it or offset it, right? Yes. Uh, If you, quote, if you don't want to sabotage yourself, at least cut out all that, quote, stupid, useless failure language. It isn't serving you. So here we see a cousin to the glimmer rather than using the mind and the will to create an experience that isn't actually happening in the mind. It's using it to set aside uh, negative self-talk that isn't serving you. But wait a minute. Who's deciding that it's not serving you? Yes. Mm -hmm. How do you know it's not serving you? How do we know that? What is the point of negative self-talk? Right. Identity would say this is an important, critical aspect of healing to be able to hear the voice of your self-criticism and heal the wound at the bottom of it, not offset it with another oasis uh, uh, mechanism, right? Yeah. Another more allopathy. Yeah. So again, that's the best younger souls can do. Um, but it gets caught in our craw when it's soul as the answer for everyone. Mm-hmm. But this is what religion has done for what ten thousand years, eight five thousand years anyway. Directly, right? right. Um, one size fits all. Uh, uh, one size fits all. Same thing with uh, uh, modern or even ancient and modern sagehood. One size fits all. Everyone's ego is an illusion. Uh, no, sorry, that's an absolute truth. So yeah, wow, a cousin. I love how these overlap. Well, but yeah, I, it's all based in the in the idea that we're mental beings first. So all these things then make sure. sense. Well, I, I want to I want to do uh, a, uh, a helpful offset, uh, a, a little burp in our track here about the Barbie movie, because my first reaction to it was, um, well, I've got to see it to ch- to check if my repulsion of the whole idea <laughs> is reasonable, like my whole repulsion the last five years to the Marvel Universe uh, cartoon comic book. Uh, consciousness, consciousness quotient that overtook the the, the movie industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's juvenile. It's Comic Con in motion in the movies. Well, now we have a doll. It's just an offset, sort of a, a version of Comic Con because it's a doll for children, right? right? And then uh, uh, Bree and I were talking about. She read an article that. Oh, now I've got to see this. I want to see it now, and I'll, let me tell you why because. The hidden agenda of uh, of uh, in this for, for what's her name? Um, I always miss her. Mix, master, miss, mix Margot her Robbie. Steenwig. No, no. The the um, that's the star. The director. Uh, oh, I don't know. Um, anyway, what the whole premise of the movie is? Barbie wants to break out of Barbieville and get to real life. Oh, cool. That that is a we would say from identity's point of view we resonate with the healthiness of that. Mm-hmm. She wants to get out of the strictured trapness of two dimensionality and wants to get break out into the uh, to the real world to find out what the real world is. 
That's the reason I want to see it. But all the direct, all the things that are called positive in this movie are actually things the director wants to break out of. Ah, and, break and out now, of the glimmer know, world. <laughs> exactly. And I don't know how that affects Kennergy if Ryan Gosling is spouting. I mean, he's a great actor. Yeah. Uh, I like him. But if he's, I mean, uh, people who make their livings by playing other people are not really usually deeply philosophically metaphysical. And so you got to give them a lot of patience. Um, yeah. But I don't know what he's saying there or if he's, if he wants to, if he's supporting this whole Kennergy thing. But uh, I think in the deeper way, the director is trying to break out of this stuff. And yet the media to help sell the movie is, is inflating all the superficiality when I think I, I don't know for sure, but I want to see it to see what the director's philosophy is. Because yeah. we've talked about films a lot that way. Yeah, it's sort of like watching The Matrix and being like, oh man, I wish I could be Cypher and get to have that, uh, eat the steak all the time and smoke the cigar and live the rich life. It's like, I think you missed the point of the film. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's the whole point. So if you focus on what appears to be the assets uh, the superficial assets of this movie and are repelled by them. Maybe there's a different, a deeper message. And I'm, I will see this and I will report back uh, cool. after seeing this at some point to see the Barbie movie, because that intrigues me. If, uh, if she, if that's what the director wanted to do. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll watch it too. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm above that kind of stuff. And, and while I completely agree about the overdoneness of comic book movies, um, mm. I do mostly really like them. But uh, I like them for the same reason you dislike them, and that is because they're superficial, basic, and I don't have to worry about people's motives or codependent <laughs> relationships. It's just entertainment, not Absolutely. trying to be anything else. Sure. I, I know exactly what you mean. I just, all I can see in superhero movies is compensation for insecurity and unworth. Uh, showing up as superpowers, you know. Oh, but uh, I'll tell you what, though, there's uh, I, th I might have mentioned this in a podcast before, but at the end of the Avengers, the first one, there's a movie that, that there's a line, a scene that brings tears to my eyes almost every time where, you know, it's the big epic battle at the end of the film. And um, uh, what's his name? I forget the actor, uh, Mark Ruffalo, who plays the oh, Hulk. Yeah. He shows up on this um, puny little scooter that is supposed to be ironically pathetic. And he's like driving around rubble and the city's already half destroyed. And I forget, I, I forget who's he meets up with another one of the superheroes. Maybe it's Scarlett Johansson's character. I can't remember. And he starts... Um, it's very anticlimactic and he's like, yeah, I'm here. And he starts walking toward the battle and, uh, and she says, uh, well, aren't, aren't you going to get angry? And he goes, that's the trick. I'm always angry yeah. and starts walking. And it just brings tears to my eyes every time because yes, there's, you could say there's something about control and mastery of the anger there, but you could also interpret it as an inclusion of all of himself. And that's where his power sure. is coming from. Sure. So there are little moments like that in the Marvel movies, especially the DC one's not as good. But. I, I went, uh, I graduated from Superman uh, to Spider-Man mm. precisely because Spider-Man was the first one to um, self-doubt. Uh, yeah. It was part, part of the whole shtick. And then it became a meme in itself yeah. that became almost comic, comicalized, uh, ironically yeah. uh, and sardonically. 
yeah, well, oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm Superman, but I'm scared of mice, you know, uh, you know, it became a self reveal instead of a really ground Stan Lee, he brought vulnerability to yeah. uh, Spider-Man. And so Spider-Man was my first favorite superhero. I literally thought I was, might be Spider-Man when I was like five years old and, and I literally pulled my father aside and told him I was Spider-Man. And really? Yeah, wow. that's how identified I was with Spider-Man because of the self-doubt and the over-responsibility. Yes. Oh, good call. That's right. He thinks he has to um, save everyone and help everyone. Uh, because he always hurts the people he cares about the most, which is deep yes. in my soul wounding. Um, and so I've always uh, loved Spider-Man. And so, yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the intractable conflict when you uh, a superhero doesn't want to have a soulmate because that would endanger their life because they have so many enemies. That one really used to yeah. give, give me a, a dissonant uh, vibes that I couldn't solve because there was good truth in that, but there was also a resignation of inability to change that. That just mm -hmm. dissonated with my, with my soul. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so look folks, um, you're used to listening to what is this? Is this our 68th uh, or 60th? I don't. I don't even have the file open. 60 something. Yeah, 65. Um, we're talking about comic books, uh, um, uh, um, Barbie movies. Uh, you, you literally cannot say that this is an ivory tower paradigm. Uh, <laughs> Because we live in the mud and can talk about identity uh, as view on all sorts of quote unquote non philosophical uh, uh, shallow topics, which only look non philosophical. Because as Joseph of I and I have been talking, there is philosophy in everything. Yep. Uh, in everything, it's impossible not to have psychological depth from motive in the way we present our stories, the mm. stories we tell each other, the stories we write for ourselves. Uh, it's all philosophical, even superhero movies, even doll movies. Did you know that there's a worldwide shortage of pink paint uh, because so much of it was used in the Barbie sets? Uh, <laughs> There is a worldwide shortage of it. And now with people are clamming for it because they want to paint paint lots of things in their homes, the Barbie pink now. Sure. I mean, oh my God. Yeah, well that's how you, that's maybe one route to Kenergy. I mean, Ken, um, if you yeah. got Kenergy, you wear yeah. pink, you know? That's someone well, comfortable with their masculinity. Well, you know, I've got a, my Italian heritage with my skin color, especially in the summer. Maybe I need a pink tattoo uh, with a, a, a circle around a K on my on my bicep. What do you a think? symbol of Kennergy. Yeah, Kennergy, a pink tattoo. A tattoo. <laughs> no, that would look like the Circle K logo. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, it's about that level of discourse in Circle. Okay, but um, but not not for young souls. So if you if if Kennergy um, uh, inspires you, go for it until it stops in inspiring you. That's what we would always say, right? Yeah, for sure. But, but we're, we've been going for a while here. Was there something you wanted to share before we go? Now is probably uh, a good time. Uh, I think I'd have to change gears so deeply. Okay. I, I'd, um, my my consciousness quotient uh, would uh, would um, uh, have a an aneurysm. I, I can't <laughs> go from that to a self reveal, but I I would like to. Uh, it's still brewing, so I can I can carry it over to the next one. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for asking. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we went lots of different places today, but um, I think it's um, 
yeah, it's just phenomenal to me how it's like we're so many decades past NLP and cognitive behavioral therapy and that we're still seeing in daily news cycles new repackaging of really very old mind-based will-based stuff Um, it's sad it's it's really sad that um that the the lack of paradigmatic awareness that 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 sees the uh, glimmer thing as As anything new besides the name it's so not new and like but if we see it as new yeah which is extreme subjectivism it's not new objectively but if we see it as new well then maybe it will work in a way that it never has before because that would be the same mechanism of mind that does the glimmering sure Sure. let's just see it as new let's just relate to it with what was that uh, line the guy the eternal optimist or whatever Yes, the incurable optimism. Incurable, yes. If we're an incurable optimism, so wait, it's a disease? Well, you're right about that. Optimism <laughs> is a disease, but it's not curable. I'm not sure. Are you an Enneagram 7? It might be incurable then. I don't know. Behold the Joseph uh, deconstruction of paradigmatic uh, wordsmithing. Uh, yes. There's Beautiful. so much paradigmatic richness in the word choice that people use. It's I can't help it. Yeah, absolutely. You're so right. I love, I love how your mind works that way. Oh, I forgot. Speaking of which, I've been, uh, uh, last thing I promised, um, uh, Stanhope, the comedian Stanhope, I forget his first name. I heard this bit he did recently, um, somewhat related to that, where he's making fun of, um, of AA because he grew up, um, like being a kid doing homework in the back of the AA rooms, which, you know, is a whole rabbit hole in of itself. Like, I don't oh think that's God. okay, right? But no, no. No, no. that's not okay to bring your not kid okay. and have them, you know, coloring in the back of the AA room while people are talking about stuff. So he had some bones to pick with AA, and he was talking about how it says if you don't have a God, then just create one for yourself. That's the chapter mm-hmm. on for agnostics and atheists. And right. he's talking about the first two steps. And let me see if I can reconstruct this. The first step is to realize that you are powerless before alcohol. Um, yes. You have a disease and it's and uh, it's more powerful than you are. You are powerless before that. And right. then you're supposed to surrender to a higher power. And his argument was like, well, I'm going to choose alcohol as my God then because it's more <laughs> powerful than I am. <laughs> oh, lovely. Oh, that's so good. I can't believe I ever thought of that. It's absolutely wow. really. If you're powerless over alcohol and you don't yet have a God, logically, you think yeah. alcohol should be your God. Oh, that's perfect. Right. And it, and it resonates with uh, my famous line that uh, people have laughed at and cried over for years, and that is, AA moves us from an addiction to alcohol to an addiction to alcoholism. Right. Uh, yes, that's right. And yeah. uh, that fits sort of uh, or resonates with Stan's uh, great. Well, yeah, uh, in a way, they do. Time. They have alcohol up on an altar saying, right. I'm not worthy. I can't drink you. And right. you have all the power. Yes, exactly. So you, you, you literally, they shift it, which is an improvement in symptoms, but it covers when, you, when you're addicted now to alcoholism and the self-talk and the projections that you have to uh, do to get off the, the sauce, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it's better than being on it, but you know what the recidivism rate is in AA? By their own? No, higher, 70, 80 more 90 oh god 90 percent recidivism in the long term yeah for aa 
Uh, and so when I asked once uh, an AA counselor about that, uh, uh, he said, well, uh, if we weren't trying, we, those 10% would never be reached. And I said, amen, yep. uh, uh, have at it, bud, you know. Yeah, but where's the meta of like, and maybe we need to be um, looking at an entirely new way at the same time yeah, to get more exactly. percentage points. Yeah, uh, that, that's uh, you can double check that uh, uh, for me, but I have seen that number. I was astonished by it too because I would have said forty to fifty, but uh, I think it, uh, if you can check really quick here, because I don't want to leave people thinking that I'm uh, I'm misquoted uh, here. I say um, Google says. Thirty-five percent absence rate for two to three years if they go to meetings. Estimates say that forty to sixty percent of people relapse from sobriety within a year of treatment. So uh -huh. long, long term, it would have to be more than forty to sixty percent. Yeah, so, yeah, of course. So that 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 supports what this was. This was raw, not time time based. Anyone who spent enough time in AA to qualify. Uh, uh, in the long term, only 10% of them stay off alcohol. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. I know but, the most, but, like the live-in treatment centers, I know at most they'll boast like 20 or 30% uh, as a yeah. recidivism rate. They work better. Um, yes. As well. And they're doing like residence level therapy in groups. Yes. And it's sure. Yeah. Not those meetings uh, at the Moose Lodge. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, they're free and they're everywhere, so that's great. Um, yeah. They definitely help people, but um, without that sure. secondary question of like, why doesn't it work? What, which can't be questions because if, if addiction is a disease, then what are you going to do? Well, we, we have to close with identity's picture of all addictions come out of unconscious, unhealed woundings. Right. We're, we're reaching for a drug of any kind to not feel something. Uh, yeah. I always say that, um, uh, people who are rabid pet owners, all pets are emotional support uh, uh, animals. Yeah. For, for all pet owners, except those who have casual cats, you can't really make an addiction out of. Uh, uh, but, you need a uh, lot of them to do need that. a lot of, yeah, yeah <laughs> 10 or 20 of them uh, to qualify. But even one dog uh, can be, of course, uh, um, something yeah, that's far uh, more relational. Yeah, exactly. That's that why they, they, they hook so many people. Anyway. Okay, Mr. Mann. Thank you, Stace. Thank you, listeners. It yeah. was a journey. It was, it, <laughs> it was, and it had lots of bright spots and a lot of um, uh, agape moments. And in the end, uh, stick with whatever you're doing until it doesn't work for you anymore. Amen. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.